You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Uh, I got a confession to start this morning, uh, an intimate one. The lights are bright, so I can't see. I assume there's only one person here, and I'm sharing it with you. And so I got these three confessions to tell you. One, I prefer unsweet tea to sweet tea. I'm sorry, I know. There might, boo, yeah. There might be some people leaving right now. Uh, the McDonald's lady, when I pull up, I said, like, one unsweet tea with a lemon. She says, hey, Matt, because I'm the only one that does that. And, and so uh, this is true. Uh, another confession, uh, even though I've lived in the South uh, more, almost half my life, I'm not sure I've ever had a piece of bologna. I know, I know. It's crazy. Uh, and uh, the third thing is I avoid pain at all costs. I don't know if, if you can relate to any of those three. I assume one of those three you can relate to. Uh, and, and my guess is for most people, it's not the first two. It's the third. We avoid pain at all costs, right? Whether it's physical pain or mental pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, I don't want pain. I assume that's similar to you, right? We were working out. Uh, I got to dig holes with a bunch of guys yesterday. Uh, it sounds awesome when I describe it that way. Wow, we dug holes. Uh, but we were getting ready for the playground. And when I got home, I told Sarah, I was like, how many Tylenol can I take? And, and when should I take it? Uh, now, later, both. And uh, because I didn't want the pain that I knew was coming. What tried to avoid pain, physical pain, like digging holes, or emotional pain. When you see something coming, I just want to bury my head like an ostrich and say, if I don't look at it, if, I, if I'm not addressing it, then it'll just go away, right? Maybe some of you are like that, that we just want to have the pain go away. And this morning, as we've gone through Luke, uh, through the book of Mark, we've seen some amazing moments in Jesus' ministry, some very personal, intimate times, but I'm not sure we've found one as intimate as the moment we're about to be in today with Jesus. As we see him facing pain and realizing Jesus was a human just like you and I, he didn't want the pain that was to come. He was agonizing over it. He was stressing over it. He was greatly distressed, the text says, over what was to come. And so we're going to see that this morning, and I love it because it's an intimate, real story, a a very uh, passage that we can connect with because I don't want pain. Death of a loved one, I don't want to know. That diagnosis, don't call me. All these things, I'd rather just look away and pretend that everything's perfect, but that's not our life, and that wasn't Jesus's. And so this passage, we're in Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles or your journals, feel free to open it up, bring up the app, we'll have it up on the TV, uh, up on the screens. We're going to dive into this very real, intimate story that we're about to address. And it's neat because we're going to see Jesus, how he faced this. How he brought around his community. He, he goes with the, the, the 12, which are now 11. They've left the Last Supper in the upper room, and now they're headed to the Garden of Olives, uh, to, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas has already left to betray him. 
And so he's with the 11 and he brings them and then we see that he'll be with a t- closer, tighter knit community. That in his times of stress, he brings in others, much like we can. As we see our church community and then even that closer group, maybe our small group or the close friends. And we're also going to see Jesus being touched by God himself. That, that in the midst of these hard times, when community isn't quite enough, God is. And, and so this morning, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing, powerful story that we're about to dive into. It's, it's one that has moved me all week as, as I've been working on this. It's one that's just been intimate, one that's been real. And I hope it's one that is for you as well. We get to the walk from the Last Supper, and they're headed to the garden. We, in Mark, it's chapter 14, verse 27. And Jesus says on their walk, he turns and addresses the group, this, this intimate group that's been following him for three years, that have been in every battle, that have been uh, uh, every campfire, that have been at the, the spiritual moments, that have been at the teachings. And he turns to them and he says, you will all fall away. Jesus said, told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He knows this is coming. As we talk about pain, he has the pain of being disturbed by his closest friends. A pain that some of you might be able to relate to. That, that, that friend that you thought would be there for life turned around and stabbed you in the back. That, that spouse that we said, till death do us part, for some reason, they decided that didn't count. And you felt betrayed. This is a story many of us can relate to. And so Jesus says, you will all turn away. But I love what he says. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. I love this because he knows that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall away. But... I'll be waiting for you. I'm still there for you. And we're going to meet up again. And I love that verse because I think about it for me. How many times have I turned my back on God? How many times have I not stood up for him? How many times have I been ashamed of the gospel? How many times have I just committed a sin? And God knew that. Jesus knew that. And yet he says, I'm going to be waiting for you, Matt. On the other side, I'm going to be in Galilee. I'm there for you. I know you're going to make this mistake. But I'm not turning my back on you. I'll still be there. And Peter declared, even if, I, even if I'll fall away, I will not. All right? We got Peter, and he's always quick to talk and kind of speaks for the group. But Jesus says, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They were convinced they'd be able to, they'll be right by his side until the very end. And we're going to see by the end of this morning, they all flee. Jesus was right. Those times that we say, no, I'm not going to turn my back on Jesus. And and then we go and make that sin. Then we go and make that mistake. It's nice to know Jesus is there waiting for us. So... They're on this process. They're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane, which literally means the Olive Press. This is the place in the, gar- in the Olive Garden where they would collect the olives and they would put it under, under this press and, and put great pressure that would extract the oils from the olives. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that this is where Jesus is going to pray. Under this time of great pressure. Under this time where, where there's great pressure on him and what's to come. This is where he goes and prays. And as we read this story, you're going to see there's a lot of little, little accounts, eyewitness accounts, little details that you think someone, someone was there at this picture, uh, was part of this story, and we're going to see that that's true here at the end of this passage. And so look for those little moments that seems like someone that was there is telling the story. It says, they went to the place of Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Luke twenty two thirty nine 39 says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. It's important to see that, that this is a place that Jesus would often go and go with them, and they would pray. And so Judas, who's not with them, who we saw last week, has already left and has told the high priest, I'm going to take you to my master. I'm going to take you to Jesus. Judas already knows, because this is a place they would usually go. So he knows where to go in the darkness of night that he'll find Jesus and his friends. So Jesus and the eleven get to the garden, but it says, Then he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. (laughs) So he has the eleven, and he pulls a close three. It's like we have our community, our, our church body that, that are here together and we're, we're in support and love each other. But then there's that closer group, maybe your small group, maybe those close friends that, you, that when the going gets tough, these are the ones you reach out to first. And he grabs them and he says, hey, come with me. And these three come aside and he says, just, just pray. I'm so distressed. Our English version of this word can't capture what the Greek says. The, the Greek is, it, uh, had a definition. is an extremely acute emotion, a compoundment of bewilderment, fear, uncertainty, anxiety. This is what Jesus is experiencing. And he says to these guys, will you pray with me? You don't understand. I'm to the point of death. I'm so caught up in this worry, in this emotion of what's to come. Because he knows the pain that's ahead, the physical pain of the being beaten and hanging on a cross. The emotional pain of losing everyone that he trusts, turning their back on him. The mental agony of what's to come. The spiritual pain. So you just pray with me. I'm to the point of death. So he brings them, and they pray. And he goes a little further. He says, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass for him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup for me, yet not I will, but what you will. That passage is so intimate. It's so real. I don't know how many times I feel like I could relate. If possible, God, just take this away. I love this image of a cup that he's saying, take this cup. I don't want it. God, I'm not, I don't want to drink from this. This is not my cup. Give it to somebody else. Do something else with it. Take this cup away from me because I don't want to drink from this cup. I think of my life. How many times that I've cried out to God, God, this can't be. 
Why is this diagnosis real? Why did that person pass away? This can't be. Just take it away, God. Take this cup from me. Perhaps you can relate to Jesus here. How many times have you had that cup? God, just give that to someone else. I don't want to drink from this at this moment. We see this human side of Jesus in the story. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but he's also fully human. And, and to just focus on the God part would, would be, do a disservice to this passage. Because we see his full humanity here, praying to God, just take this away, take this cup from me. To see this agony, to see this distress that's upon him. This desire not to face the pain that's ahead. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual pain that's going to come down and press on him like an oil press. Take it away. Crying out to God to change it. How many times have you cried out to God, just change this? So he cries and he prays. And this process goes on. And then he comes back. It says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you sleeping? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus has been praying for one hour that God would take this away. The agony, the, the, the reality of what's ahead. And he comes back and this, this small group, these close friends, they fell asleep. Where are you guys? Where are you in the midst of my greatest horrible moment? I thought I could rely on you. It says, once more he went away praying the same thing. The same thing. God, take this cup from me. Let this not be. But when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Think of what they've been through. It's been an emotional week, a heavy week. They just had Passover and, and it's been so emotional. And tiredness just came over. They want to stay awake, I'm sure, but, but they can't. They dropped the ball again. And we see that Jesus couldn't turn to his human community for the support in the hardest of times. While they were there, they, they want to be there. They want to support. They just weren't enough. And in the hardest of times, in the worst of our moments, the one that is there is God still. We see in Luke chapter 22, Luke's version, it says, while he's praying, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This anguish was so real that, that there's a medical condition that under the greatest amounts of stress that the capillaries will pop and blood will come out as if it was sweat. And so his face is getting covered with sweat. Imagine all the places you sweat, that, that your forehead and his, his brow and above his lip is just covered with these drops of blood because he's in so much anguish over the pain that's to come. And the angels come and care for him. God is there with him. While these disciples, his closest friends, ones that love him, couldn't quite make it, God still did. God did not leave him or abandon him. 
And so Luke tells us what was going on between the second and third return. And so during this time, God came to him, and he's prayed, God, take this away. If it's your will, take it away. And God comes to him, and he sends angels to him, and he cares for him. And it says the third time, Mark, stepping in back into Mark, chapter, verse 41, says, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. They begin to hear the sound of a crowd coming, of people marching, of a mob coming to get him. The disciples are all looking around wondering what's going on, but Jesus knows. This has all been plotted from the beginning of time. Jesus knows. This is what he's been crying for. This is what he's sweating blood because that crowd... They're coming for me. And he turns to his disciples. He knows this is the last free moment with them. And I love he says, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. We so often think it's Judas. He's being delivered in the hands of Judas. But no, that, that mob, they're the sinners coming to get him. But I think when Jesus is talking about this mob and, and in the hands of sinners, he's not just talking about Judas and, and the Roman, Roman mob. <clears throat> not just talking about the high priest. Are the high priests the sinners? Yeah, I think so. But when it says in the hands of sinners, honestly, I think he's including you and me. Our sins is what put him on that cross. And so he's being delivered into the hands of sinners, of Judas, of this mob, of the high priest, of you, and the sins of me. He's going willingly into their hands. And he says, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. They made the sign because it'd be the darkness of night. Who knows what, how much light you'd be able to see, not knowing which one of the, this group of 12 men to arrest. And so Judas says, I'll, I'll go kiss him. But I think it was more than that. Judas didn't know, but Jesus would be disfigured already. Imagine how puffy your face gets when you've been crying, and he's been doing that for hours. Blood is pouring down his face all over. And so they don't know which one is Jesus. They've seen him in the temple, but not like this. So Judas goes, and in the most intimate sign of friendship, betrays him with a kiss. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near him drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. From John's account, we know it was Peter that struck Malchus, his ear. The, the servant, his ear is cut, and Jesus goes and puts his hand on his ear and heals it. <clears throat> and he tells Peter to stop. In the, the version of Luke and, and John, we see that, Peter, that Jesus rebukes Peter, but Mark focuses on, on a different aspect. Mark says, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures 
must be filled. Picture this scene. Right? This is the Son of God. This is Messiah. All the angels in the heavenly bodies are watching down on this, are ready to come and fight for him. This is their leader. Excuse me. This is their leader. This is the Son of God. They're ready to fight for him. Peter is ready to fight, and he tells everyone, stop. This is happening, so scripture is fulfilled. I don't think he's just talking to those 12, but to the 11 that are with him. I think he knows the hillside is covered with angels that will come and fight for him in a second. If Jesus just gives a head nod, if he gives a wink, this battle is over and Jesus is set free. The angels would rain down on them. Holy terror. I think he proclaims this to the angels as well. This has got to happen, that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And so chaos ensues, right? This mob is going and they arrest him and then they begin to question each other. Should, what about these other guys? Should we arrest everyone? And they, these disciples hear that and so they begin to run off and they flee and, and everyone man for themselves and says then everyone deserted him and fled. And this chaos happens and everything crazy is going on and then it says a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked leaving his garment behind. This is the chaos that's here. Right? That this guy, our eyewitness, is so caught up that he's running and guards are grabbing and they grab onto his coat and, and he wiggles out of the coat and he takes off completely naked. I don't know if Mark included that part just for us to, to ease some of the tension that there's a streaker in the book of Mark. Right? Uh, a couple years ago, we had Brad Deal go running to race Usain Bolt. Thought about having him act this one out again, but, but we, didn't, we didn't end up asking Brad. But there's a streaker in the book of Mark, and <laughs> that's probably Brad's wife <laughs> laughing right there. Um, so the streaker, a lot of people think, is Mark himself. A lot of people believe that the upper room where they had the Last Supper was Mark's mother's home. And this was the central point for the early church in Jerusalem. And, and Mark happened to be part of all the things happening in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. He was their first eyewitness account. And he was close friends with Peter. And he got all the information from Peter for this book. But here, Mark has wrapped himself inside the story. That when they left the upper room, and Mark is there and he says, Mama, can I go? She says, sure. She doesn't know what's ahead. And so this eyewitness has been following from a distance. And he sees the prayer, and he sees Jesus go off and pray. And then they go, and he sees the mob coming, and he's lost, doesn't know what to do. And so where do you go to seek safety? You go to the Messiah. And so he goes, and he's with the, with the group of men. And then chaos erupts, and they all flee. And what is he supposed to do? He's just a young kid. And so he goes, and one of the guards grabs his coat, and he wiggles out of that, and he takes off naked. Mark is in this story. Mark deserted him too. As I see this story, I can't help but go back to that verse. Verse 35. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it's possible, this hour might pass him. Abba, Father, everything is possible. Take this cup from me. 
take this cup from me. I think how many times have I thought that? When you picture Jesus, he's sitting there. Imagine if he had this cup and what is flowing into his cup. The fear and, and the pain that's ahead, but, but what's flowing in this cup is what's coming upon him. This cup that he's to drink from. It's the sins of all mankind. Take this cup. I think for me, when I'm facing hard times, when, when there's pain, I, God, take this cup from me. Because my cup is full of this diagnosis that I don't want to have. This cup is full of yet another friend that just recently passed away. This cup is full for each of us of broken relationships, of lost jobs, of missed opportunities. This cup is full of back pain, of pain from the past, pain from regret, from guilt of things we've done. This cup is full of all the nasty things people have said to us or about us or behind our back. This cup is full. and We just want to cry out, God, take this cup from me. And for Jesus, this cup is full of the sins of all mankind. As you go in the past, the sins of Abraham, the sins of David, the sins of the prophets, the sins of all of Israel is pouring into this cup and he's holding it. God, take this cup from me. And the sins of the future, the sins of the the early church, the sins of the disciples that would leave him, the sins of, of all of time, the sins of you and me are pouring in here. The sins of all the saints are pouring in, not to mention the sins of those who are, are evil, the sins of Hitler, the sins uh, of death, the, the sins of, of murderers and rapers. All these sins are pouring into his cup. God, take this cup. And I just see him holding this cup. And I think of myself. How many times am I just wanting to give up? Say, God, I can't take this cup anymore. God, I can't handle one more bad thing. God, I can't handle one more frustration. I know this has got to be something that you might have experienced. Maybe you're experiencing it now that you say, it's just too much. I can't take this cup. And you hold this cup and you say, God, I won't take it. I can't take it. And you just want to smash the cup. You just want to move on and bury your head. And Jesus holds that cup. And the rest of that passage says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The sins of all mankind. And he is willing to drink from that cup. Because that was God's plan. See this. And this story is so intimate and real. I just finished in my devotion time reading through the book of Job. And if you read the book of Job, it's in the Old Testament. It's about a guy that that had everything. Life was going great for him. And and then Satan comes and takes it all away and makes his life miserable. And and in the midst of that, Job's friends come and they correct him and they tell him how he must be bad. And in the midst of that, Job cries out and he says, I'd rather be dead. I wish I had just never been born. Why did God do this to me? And this book of Job, this Job unloading on God, this Job's friends unloading on him. At the end, if you've read it, there's a couple chapters where it's God unloading on Job. But also at the end, it's God saying, Job, I got you. In the midst of your distress, I got you. In the midst of your pain, 
I'm here with you. Phil Bianzi shares in a book, it's called, this book is called Disappointment with God. If, if this message hits home with anyone, I want to encourage you. We have an extra copy of it in, in the library. Go grab it. It's an amazing, powerful book. But as you look at as he mentions in this book, when we're, we're faced with this moment that Jesus is facing as he's holding the cup, that Job is facing when everything seems to be going bad, we have two options. One, and the one that we often turn to is just turn away from God. Bury our head. Don't turn to God. Blame him. But, but worse than blaming him is just shutting him out, trying to handle it on our own, not including him. That's an option one. And then there's option two that we see Job do, which is turn to God. And he turned to God and was frustrated with God and angry. And he cries out and he doesn't understand. But God's got big shoulders. He can take our cries. He can take our questions. He can take our frustrations. If we come to him, this is Jesus at the garden crying out, I don't want this, God. But whatever your will is, I will follow. This passage in Mark, I think, is an amazing passage on the power of prayer. Because you see Jesus wanting to move on, wanting to not have to deal with any of this. But through prayer, God cares for him. God loves him. In the book of John, uh, Jesus tells him the, the people that he's got to leave, and so the Holy Spirit will come, and he, and he calls the Holy Spirit, the word, he uses the word the paraclete, which means comforter, which means to come alongside. Think about that. The Holy Spirit, in our greatest moment of agony, when we just want to let go of that cup, is coming alongside us. He's loving us. Is holding us. This passage is an amazing illustration of prayer. And so I hope that each of us would come away this morning seeing that Jesus was real, that he was as much a human as you and I, that he wanted to avoid the pain, but sometimes we can't. And at those times, we need to give our will over to God's will. Put our hands in him. And know that he has us. To know instead of turning away from God, to do as Job did and turn to God, even if that's in frustration. Because we see in the book of Job, God still is holding him and dear and close to him. That we see in this passage, not my will, but yours be done. This is a powerful scripture on prayer. And so I thought there's nothing better that we could end this morning with than, than praying. As those disciples that fell asleep, perhaps we could not fall asleep, but be praying for those that are in this great agony and distress, those that are in a hard time. And so if you will all stand with me, we're going to have a little time of prayer. I'm going to have some prayer prompts, uh, about 30 seconds each. And you just pray on your own. If you, wanna, if you want, grab the hand of the person next to you. If, if you know them, if you don't, you still can, but they might not like it. But, but this is a time for you and God to communicate. A time for us to pray. So if you'll 
bow your heads and, and pray with me as I, I prompt us every few, few 30 seconds. To begin, let us pray for those around our city. Many of you helped us sent to serve last week. Pray for those who might be touched by your sent to serve site. There are people that feel like their cup is overflowing and they're ready to give up. The homeless, the poor, veterans, foster children, young mothers, all these sent to serve sites are full of people that need our prayer. If you could pray for people in our city, maybe even people you don't know, but people that need the comforter to come alongside them. a second. I think we have a prayer card. I believe we have a picture of a prayer card. Do we have? We got a prayer card. We have a prayer room back there and on this prayer card it's where you can write down a specific prayer request and in this card I, I wish we had, I could send you the, show you the pictures. This card says it doesn't say who it's by, and it says prayer request. I'm going through it. And then it says for update, it says not getting any better. For some of you, you have someone in your life, at work or at school, at home, a neighbor, who's going through it, and it's not getting any better. We're going to pray for those people, someone you know, that you know is going through it. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. If you can bow your heads and, and pray for that person now. we're going to make this a little even closer to home. If that card describes you, if you feel like you're going through it and it's not getting any better, if you feel like you're at your end and you just want to smash this cup of suffering and bury your head and run away, if life just seems too much right now, I want to ask you if, if that is you, if that describes you, if what you're going through right now is just too much, if you'll grab a seat, Go ahead and sit down. If you just feel like you're at your end and you just need some prayer, that there's just one more death, one more diagnosis, one more issue at work, one more thing at home, one more relationship that I'm struggling with, grab a seat. And for those of you that are still standing, if you could pray for those that are seated, that are going through too much right now, just lift them up in prayer.
God, I close praying for each one of us. Lord, I pray for times that we're going through it and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. That might be right now. That might be in the past. We don't even know that's coming here in the near future. God, I pray that we would come to you, that we would seek your comfort, that you would touch us in those hard, hard moments, that we would know the comforter, the paraclete, is among us, is coming alongside us, is comforting us, that you are there for us in our darkest hour, that we are not alone. Although we may feel it, we may feel everyone has turned and abandoned, everyone has fled, everyone has run away, you are there. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for that love, that dedication. We thank you that Jesus was willing to follow, not his will, but yours, to die on the cross to drink that cup of my sin, to drink that cup of the sin of the people here, and then to conquer that sin and conquer death. We thank you that Jesus is there to meet us in Galilee. Thank you that you never give up and that you're there waiting for us. In your name. Amen.